Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is Cesar Pliqueta. this is william this is ali riley hi this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london is blue podcast Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener. And with no further delay, let's jump right in. And we're back, Chelsea fans, with another episode of the London Is Blue podcast cup final edition coming at you this time we've got nick and dan join us on the pod uh yep welcome back but we've also bringing in the reinforcements with amity joining up with us what is up man it has been a little while hey guys glad to be back on yeah we can go with that and then i think we should move it back to nick uh you were hanging out with the kc blues today taking it in i appreciate your group's dedication on days like these yeah, I mean, I, I think there were a lot of groups out in full force today, so we got to give credit to everybody. Um, my crew did a, a pretty good job of getting folks together. I saw there was a really great group in Milwaukee and uh, in L.A. and a bunch of other places. So, you know, if you're one of those fine folks that went down to the pub to celebrate a cup final day, uh, good on you. That's that's the best way to be. And I think also good photos from Atlanta, from Austin, Boston, New York, so there were definitely a lot of the major cities were out representing, doing great great work, great job. All right, well, thank you for making me admit that I didn't hang out the Twin Cities Blues, but I'm sure they were out in full force as usual. Um, Amity, did you take the game in with anybody, or were you like the nervous fan who's like, no, 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 I just need to be by myself, at home, here to take on whatever happens? Oh, yeah, no, I could not show my face in public for a cup final. No chance. I can, I can barely see other people on a regular match day. Uh, I, get very, <laughs> I get very loud and emotional. I yell at the TV. My girlfriend will tell you firsthand. She usually spends most matches in the bedroom while I'm out just, like, yelling at the TV in my underwear. So that couldn't happen in public, and I'm happy that I wasn't exposed to that or <laughs> no one else was exposed to me. So Vivid All painting right. of the visual image there. Bravo. Well done. Oh, yeah. You gotta, I hope everyone at home can see that because that's how I watch all the games. <laughs> love that uh how about this from at ryan cecil jobson right after the match going can i get 
a new London Blue Pod right now? Maybe? I mean, Dan, did you do a little recording and send it his way, or is he just going to have to wait for this? Well, you know, we, we have a process. The process is to allow time afterwards to decompress and digest the game before we go into the full match review because obviously like you look at like the sorry keppa situation if you recorded right afterwards you would have had a very different view of that and if you gave yourself just a little window of time so that you know it's we're, we're talking a little bit about how the sausages are made is made brandon but you know, we've got a process we gotta stick to it it's true and if you were like me and listen to bbc's three uh eight oh eight or whatever the after match call-in show is on drive, holy smokes, he was essentially sorry he's gone out and you need to sack Keppa immediately. His his impulsiveness put me to shame. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. Chris Sutton was wearing his hat on his never mind. So we have no iTunes reviews. I mean, is that right, Dan? Nope, none well, this time. No. No, no. We have five new iTunes oh, reviews. Oh, that's right. My apologies. Five. Five. Um, we have four from the USA and one from Sweden. So from USA, the real Roman breakfast taco who did shout out Nick for showing up in uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah. We also had uh, Stanwood is a blue horrible update exclamation point exclamation point. Uh, who's Kiernan from the USA and then uh, Tazari um, Id from Sweden giving us uh, a shout up and big ups from uh, the Nordic countries. So uh, again. Five-star reviews, get a shout-out at the beginning of the podcast, and uh, we appreciate those who dropped one in from last podcast to this podcast. Of course. We always love hearing from all of our listeners through the the five-star review system. Obviously, a huge shout-out to Mark on Patreon, who upgraded his donation. That is amazing to read. And we are now at 50 Patreons strong, which is unbelievable. Believable, We love it. Uh, and I can tell we're that big because our Discord server is absolutely popping all the time with the amount of discussions that are being had. Uh, Nick is uh, being a great moderator and all of the the chains and, and getting in every single day. We appreciate that. Yeah, just, just a <laughs> tremendous amount of dialogue from me in that channel. I think I've had two posts total and they were both one word. So. And one of them was, congr- GG, Nick, you've been upgraded to level two. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm here. I'm here for it, you know? No, it is fantastic. I don't mean to throw you under the bus. Uh, we're just so excited to have all of all of you guys on there and being active. Uh, and then Dan, as, as we get here from at CFC videos saying, you will save my night, dot, 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 a bit. And then at 42 Gray Street, my our buddy Chad saying, holy shit, boys, a lot to digest good luck i mean you know what amity we didn't tell you coming into this it's not gonna be an easy one so we're gonna take all the luck we can get i totally understand that and uh speaking of not easy today has been a rough one i'll be honest with you word all right we're gonna do a quick ad break and we get back it will be the match review all right, so you're listening to this podcast right now, London is Blue. And guess what? We host our podcast on Anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool that allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. 
make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All right, here it is. Manchester City Carabao Cup Final. It was at Wembley Stadium in front of almost 82,000 fans. It was this past Sunday, February 24th. In case you missed it, score 0-0. Chelsea losing out to City 3-4 on penalties. No shortage of drama in this match. No correct score predictions. And a match lineups and stats time. Dan, what in the world went on? Yeah, it was uh, it was quite the game, and uh, no surprise, uh, Kepa, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, ad nauseum as the uh, podcast goes on, but we did see him between the sticks today. Moving forward, we saw a little bit of a shift in the back lineup with Azpilicueta, Rudiger, David Luiz, and Emerson. Yes, Alonso not even making the substitute bench for this one. We saw Conte, Jorginho, and Ross Barkley as the midfield three. And then we saw the return of, you guessed it, the false nine with Eden Hazard in the central position with Pedro and William flanking him. We did see a couple of substitutions. We saw Gonzalo Higuain come in in the extra time period. We did see Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek make it a appearance. And our fourth substitution was Willie... Ka- uh, actually, no, no, no. Scratch that oh, one that didn't happen. Come on. Okay. Come on. Uh, <laughs> come on. Um, but, you know, Nick, I think... Uh, Emerson, you know, got a chance and uh, took a great opportunity, and you know, I think we'll uh, we'll get a chance to talk about his positive contribution to the uh, starting eleven. Nick, you yeah. should also talk about how Alonzo must not have nudes on Sari because he didn't get into a Cup final like everyone says he did. Whoa, whoa, where did whoa, that whoa. come from? Because that's a, that's what everyone says. That's the only way he continues to play. Is that he has some criminal offense or photos on Maurizio because that's the only reason he plays. <laughs> No, I, I, I think it's because he beats Emerson in training regularly, which says more about, you know, I think the way that our tradings are set up than anything else. So um, that's that's what that is. I I think to get back to the uh, to brass tacks here, um, the false nine signified to me, and I know we're going to get into it with our first question, but it signified to me that Sari learned his lesson um, from from the match a couple of weeks ago, and that we were going to play a really defensive counterattacking style, and you know we're we're going to talk a lot about him today, but I think he made uh, the most out of what he had, uh, the ingredients at his disposal today, and and I'm I'm really proud of the way the team played. Um, Amity, from your standpoint, I think the lineup was a little bit surprising to most people. I think everyone, the same old thing was no chance he makes any changes. Um, I guess, what was the big surprise to you from a lineup standpoint? I, I, I'm going to admit I was also guilty of that saying I doubt he makes any differences in the lineup. I also thought Alonzo would start. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised to see Emerson. And I was also interested to find out that we were playing with a false nine. That wasn't something I anticipated. Understandably. I mean, that experiment pretty much hasn't been back since Iguain uh, joined the club. Uh, it's from a lineup standpoint. I was I was kind of most surprised about Barkley, to be honest. Uh, I can understand why he went back to the recipe that worked so well against City earlier in the season. Uh, I think that uh, it was smart having 
uh, hardworking wingers out there instead of maybe an Ed Nazard and a striker who weren't going to track back, kind of leaving yourselves exposed. So I was pleasantly surprised. I saw so many takes on Twitter, though, saying, well, this is it. My, you know, If they're not going to show up, I'm not even going to show up. And I just thought that was a little premature. Uh, it, it was the, the lineup and the formation had a proven track record of success against Manchester City. So, look, it's a one-off cup final. Anything can happen. City weren't at their best today, and this is what we got. So Dan popped in the, um, the expected goals chart. One apiece, right? Am I reading that right, Dan? One apiece? You you are reading that right, Brandon. All it right. was uh, one to one point two, so pretty much an even even Stevens moment. Oh, and they were ones inside the six. Chelsea's is on top of the six. All right, so Chelsea had seven shots, none on target. Uh, City had thirteen shots, three on target. Chelsea overwhelmingly with thirty eight percent possession. City with sixty two percent. Uh, you know, Chelsea on pass accuracy, they did quite well. There's, remember the last time we played City, a lot of sloppy giveaways and terrible areas. Not today. The team tightened it up and performed significantly better. Uh, Nick's favorite stat of the day, fouls. Chelsea 7, Manchester City 22. Uh, Chelsea me- yellow cards 3, Manchester City 2. So I, I need to talk about this because it's something that's been really bothering me for a long time and I think it's all optics based Pep and his teams Bayern, Barcelona and City are all tactical fouling masterclass teams. They are dirty teams they certainly hack away at you. They definitely have an Otamendi and a Zinchenko and a a Fernandinho who will uh, make sure that your other team feels you know kind of the pain during the match. Why are they not regarded as a dirty team in the media? I don't get it like Zinchenko should not have made it past the first half today. Like on honest to God, like he was so bad and he fouled hazard at least twice in the first half. And then certainly got Pedro and William uh, when they, when they swapped, uh, when they swapped wings that we, they had three times the amount of fouls as we did. And we had a couple of good yellow card offenses. Certainly Jorginho took a really good one when, when Raheem Sterling was on the break and, you know, Rudiger got his money's worth with two in, in one play essentially. But it is nuts to me that they that City is just regarded as this beautiful football team. They are a dirty team. And uh, Chelsea, I think, showed some some good grit today. But, uh, but yeah, three times the amount of fouls as Chelsea. Three times. So. Well, Pep, Pep, Pep is a Sith Lord. That's the best way to think about it, is that he is teaching the dark arts and goes just enough with the type of tactical fouling that his team does where – they reach in, they throw a leg in, but pull it out, you know, just enough to throw teams off and, you know, just disrupt their rhythm. And, you know, uh, but I, I will say I, I did like the Rudiger Bogo. The buy one, get one was uh, quite fantastic. <laughs> it well, was. And it was a shout out to Dan on the tweet saying the only reason John Moss hasn't booked Sinchenko at this point is that he can't spell Sinchenko because that honestly was the <laughs> only thing I could think of. Put his number, damn it. Just write Zinch and just be done with it. So the next one I've got here is from the goals standpoint. Uh, obviously, we didn't have any, uh, but the penalty shootout. Uh, there's a bit of a drama uh, going into this. Um, I don't know if we want this to take up the entire podcast, so we should probably keep that uh, uh, in focus as we get into it later. So, um, Amity, I want to talk through maybe the penalty 
takers and order to start it off. A lot of questions about Jorginho leading it off, but to be fair, he has a very good track record, and we all know that he is Maurizio's um, you know, model player. Uh, but outside of that, I guess, what did you think of the the lineup and how they all went? Um, I didn't find the lineup to be a shock. I was very actually eager to see how Jorginho would take it. I don't know what it was, but I was almost expecting him to miss. His style of penalty taking is, I don't know, people always say like, oh, that's got to go. It's got to go in if you're going to do it like that. And that's also the way I felt. And yes, his his track record has been pretty good the entire season, but some for some reason today i feel like ederson did his homework but in the lineup itself i've always i knew hazard would be fifth and i knew that uh espelicueta would be in there early i didn't really feel surprised when i saw Luis stepping up and i had you know obviously as most chelsea fans will shades of the munich final when he came up there and blasted at top corners so i was least worried about him in the lineup um and most worried about Jorginho. do, do you want to know the difference between these two teams <laughs> Look at who took the penalties for Chelsea. Look at who took the penalties for City. Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Leroy Sané, Sergio Aguero, Gundogan. All top-class players. Chelsea had three defenders in their five taking penalties. You got Jorginho, uh, Dave, uh, Emerson, David Luiz, and Hazard. Uh, it, the, the golfing class, I think, in attacking talent between these two th- teams is pretty obvious. Um... And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, David Luiz got unlucky, hit the post. You know, I, I think that was probably in. I don't know if Ederson would have saved that penalty. Um, so we got a little bit unlucky. Jorginho's was a bad penalty and should be called a bad penalty. Dave's penalty was incredible. And I know you retweeted this, Amity, um, like how top bins that was. Everybody was given, you know, I think rightfully so, every, everyone was giving Raheem Sterling the uh, – um, you know, kind of the, the gold medal for penalty taking today. But, uh, you know, Dave's penalty was just as good. And then I couldn't believe Dave pulled that out. Oh, I mean, it was great. And then Emerson has an Ashley Cole type side netting penalty, even though I think Ederson got a hand to it. And then I think the thing that we should all be talking about is how Eden Hazard completely and utterly a la Pirlo and Joe Hart embarrassed Ederson. <laughs> uh, this was one of the best penalties I've ever seen. And Ederson tried to mess with him twice on, on his walk up. Uh, Dan, I, I don't, I genuinely don't know if I've seen a more just disrespectful (laughs) penalty than that. It was beautiful. It was insulting. It was, uh, embarrassing. What Ed Nazar did with that penalty it's just ridiculous. And and like the game was on the line. The trophy was on the line. And he just absolutely disrespected Ederson uh, with that, especially because he Ederson had time to make a second attempt at it and it still just went past his hands. It was it was crazy. It almost made it better for me that he went the way that mm-hmm. Hazard shot and he oh, had yeah. to just watch it. I'm right. I'm right there with you. Versus uh, the uh, Sterling shot to the top left, which was fantastic. And you know, I think we often sometimes don't do a good job of giving credit where credit is due to opposition sides. Uh, Sterling's was incredible, and his Twitter game afterwards, where he took the photo of Keppa just looking at it and saying like that he knew was uh, had to watch it, was pretty uh, pretty top class from him. It was uh, good good banter. 
No, we're uh, we're a Chelsea podcast. So that's kind of why we don't do that, Dan. I mean, we're 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 being all excited about the consolation plot prize of a couple really good penalties, yeah. but ultimately we didn't we didn't win the trophy. So well, look, it's a matter of it's a matter of inches. It's a matter of inches. David Luiz, you know, smashes off the inside of the post. You know, Sterling smashes off the underside of the crossbar and goes in. You know, it's just literally at that level, it is a matter of inches. Same thing, Ederson not quite getting enough uh, on on the save. It, it just on Palmieri's, it's it's crazy at this game. It is the at that level, it is the finest of margins. Well, I mean, uh, I, I don't know what's been worse this season. Is it going up against? officials and VAR, or is it going up against Woodwork? Because both of them have seemed like, you know, have developed a persona, have, like, morphed into this actual, like, competition for Chelsea in terms of, like, which is screwing us more. Yeah, well, yeah. What a great situation to be in. Who's screwing us more? Uh, so, anyways, at loyal underscore CFC underscore UT Kendall saying, why did our main striker Iguain not take a penalty? Uh, obviously, coming out as a sub, he's got to be fresh. I was surprised we had three defenders take penalties. Was anyone else surprised by that? Yeah. Why? I think Ruben could have been another one to get an opportunity for it. You know, I think Callum would have been one. I don't to, know, guys. I mean, let's let's take a step back here. The, in practice, they're doing they're doing penalty kicks. In training, this has got to be a facet of what Sarri's training for, especially for a cup final coming up. He's got to know his top five, top ten. There's no way that they just stick out Luis, Hasteliqueta, and Palmieri if they haven't shown him in training that they've a got the mentality for it and b have the skill to put it in the same place. I don't know if you recall, but Aspi not not a couple of weeks ago put his penalty in the exact same spot as he did it today. So clearly he's you know, he's got that in his locker, and they train to the point where it becomes automatic. So I have a little bit less of a problem with the with the people they picked simply because this has got to be something that, you know, has been decided well before today's match. Right. I, I'm just saying kind of from like a, you know, like typically like Nick was saying that Man City had all what I would say are attacking players, and yet Chelsea kind of went with some more uh, defensive-minded players. I mean, four out of the five, even if you had Jorginho, you know, essentially play – you know, is is four of the of the five deepest players on the field. But as you say, and you know, I played as well, Amidi. I know you have at a high level. It's it takes uh, a technical and also and also like a level of poise to take a penalty as well. Anyways, so Kendall, that might be why uh, at C C Turi eleven on on Iguain, or on um, Discord asking the same thing. So shout out to you. But let's go ahead and dive into the actual match drama, everything itself. So right off the bat, Maurizio Sarri lined up with his typical four three three and planned to own possession. Well, actually, he he didn't own possession. We sat deeper. Uh, Chelsea defended like champs. We let City come at us and then tried to pick them off in the counter attack. So um, City, during their 2-0 victory over the Centurions earlier in the season, how did this play out? And do you think it shows how sorry is maybe a little bit, Nick? Is he, is he a little bit flexible in limited scenarios? Because in my mind, this false nine works against City because... They are so open at the back. We found so many pockets to hit Hazard into today. You don't get that with almost every other team. Well, yeah, because every other team isn't City, right? So uh, this is. Uh, so there are a lot of things that went into this today. 
I think Maurizio Sarri comes out of this match smelling like a rose for the most part. Um, you know, besides some of the shenanigans that we'll get into in a minute, you know, I think his tactics were dead on, his personnel was dead on, uh, and you know, even even Maurizio brought in two of our our young academy talents to help us win the game, which would be Callum and, and Ruben. So um, I, I think this was a, a the right setup. He just got worked two and a half weeks ago playing this exact team on a big pitch like Wembley is a big pitch. And he knew he had to do something different. And there was just no other way to go about it. And frankly, I'm not sure if he hadn't just been beat by Manchester United and, and had this horror of a month that he's having, if he would have necessarily done this in a cup final. But the, the thing I was thinking about heading into this game, you know, I think was the same thing that a lot of great players and, and, and coaches have to do to win their first trophy. I mean, he, he is playing for his first trophy. He's playing for his, you know, his job at Chelsea. And I think just basically did the human instinct thing, which is what the hell do I have to do to try and be competitive and win this game? And he made those decisions. And I think we, you know, for all of the talk that we've had over the last six or so weeks about his inflexibility and his stubbornness and, you know, not playing players that we think are, are playing, you know, better in the limited opportunities that they get. He did all of that today. I think he legitimately gave the team the best chance to win. They clearly were well-drilled and clearly bought into this system of, of sitting back, defending, counterattacking, because that's a lot more familiar than what they uh, do on a week-to-week basis, um, trying to play this more attacking, energetic style. And and I think just the credit should go to, you know, go to him. Obviously, we didn't win, but losing in penalties is, is like a half loss, honestly, to me. I mean, it's such a crapshoot. And I thought the team played really well, Amity, and, and I think he should be given credit for how they set up. I, I agree 100%. I think that today, Sari showed that he can be versatile. He can determine a threat and decide how he's going to react to it. And I think that the 6-0 really kind of broke his stubbornness in a way. I get that he's gone, he's sort of reverted to it, but the, you know, the substitution was different in the previous game. And I know Chelsea Twitter was kind of loving that. But the idea there is, yes, this team that we're going up against is very strong. They have very good ways of attacking and they do it in a very specific style. Sorry has to have analyzed that style and found that maybe we don't need possession for this match. Maybe we're setting up to absorb pressure and cut off passing lanes and then hit him on the counter. I mean, it really did remind me of the Conte quote, suffering without the ball, because we did a whole lot of that today, and we did it well. It, yeah, I tell you what, made uh, Conte's suffering look great. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see this team um, really, really grew into it, Dan. I was... I was so impressed, but this makes sense to me. The fact that, you know, I texted the group after, what, 35 minutes. Hey, it's not for nothing. So checked that box of positivity. But the team really grew in confidence. I think they saw some cracks in City. They saw that they weren't actually up to their best. Uh, City put in so many crosses in the air today. That played right into our hands with two tall, towering center backs. I mean, Aguero, Sterling... Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, Silva, whoever was there, they're not going to be challenging for that ball. So to me, it, it just seemed like it was stressful, but it was almost comfortable for Chelsea for a lot of the first half. And I'm assuming with Maurizio, the the the, the pre-match conversation was get through the first 45, a, you know, at a minimum zero zero, and then we go on from there. 
and it seemed to work. Well, and, and well, we got we lucky. Kept shape. You know, Sorry, we, we kept our sh- we kept our shape. You know, we you know stayed very stra- uh, strong within the lines that we had. You know, I think a couple people pointed out it was actually even more of a four five one at times with the way that both William and Pedro were dropping back to you know force them to go in through a pretty compact midfield. Jorginho and Conte doing a you know a really exceptional job. Conte having you know one of his best matches for Chelsea ever and doing it over 120 minutes and still fighting for every single ball making incredible tackles and the commitment to executing on the game plan was there from minute zero to minute 120 and i think that also paired with sorry's adaptation to the you know the premise of his football tm the fact that he was willing to show some flexibility partner up with a, a different solution to combat city i think was really you know was a rewarding thing to see for fans and for the i think the players as well too i mean it seemed that they were you know bought into this idea and then all of them were really executing at a very very high level nick uh yeah i mean it, this match essentially to me came down to one matchup we're going to talk about angola conte and his exceptional performance um in a, in a minute but it was essentially a De Bruyne v Conte, and they were they were on each other all game uh, on that on that you know whatever would be uh, side. And Angola ends, ends up covering a lot here, so I know that Ross did some marking as well. But Angola um, played better. I think actually De Bruyne had one of his worst games that I've seen him play in a City shirt today. So we got lucky. We got lucky about that because I mean he's he's a killer when he's on. Um, but no, I mean, this is if, if this team, if this Chelsea team over the last five years knows how to do anything, you know, to me, it's defend, you know, to set up defensively in a big match and hit on the counter. And I, you know, that's what Maurizio saw that his ingredients could do to try and win the game today. And again, you know, I think they, they all bought in collectively the passion and the fire that you saw from guys like Jorginho and Rudiger and Dave and, you know, even Pedro, you know, who's a pretty mild mannered dude. Uh, it just showed me that everyone was bought in, that they were, they were out to prove that this was not going to be a six nil embarrassment, Brandon. Right. Uh, I, you know, shout out to Nini FC who pointed that out in his post-match vlog talking about how excited he was at these tactical fouls that the team were throwing in. They were not going to let anything go without giving every last chance and putting their body on the line. Um, and so, you know, I think good for him for pointing that out and, and showing, uh, you know, the players showing just how much this meant to them, even if it was a uh, the League Cup, which some people call the Mickey Mouse Cup. Uh, but interesting, so Newman, our buddy, at Nami Footy, who does amazing tactical breakdown videos on YouTube, said, Sorry used Hazard in this game to mark Fernandinho. Hazard tracked Fernandinho and made sure to cut the passing lane to him. Uh, on average, Fernandinho completes roughly 65 passes a game. Today, he only managed 35 as he was always being tracked by Chelsea players. Now, this is a direct sign of a tactical change from Rizzo Sarri, and I think that it's important to call out. Nick, we don't need to delay on talking about Angolo Conte today because here was his day, completed 100% of his clearances, 
especially the one in second overtime oh. or extra time. Apologies, you non-Americans. Uh, that cleared it from between two city players as Keppel was on the ground. He won nine duels, made four successful tackles, intercepted one key pass, made made one key pass, and completed two take-ons. Uh, Naz actually tweeted as well because Bernardo Silva won Manilope match. Uh, Naz strongly disagreed, saying it could have been Ed Nazard or N'Golo Kante today. Yeah, it's one of those weird things where the player who... Yeah, sometimes has to be on the winning team to be man of the match. But I think this is one of the cases where, no, I mean, City won, but they they won on penalties. So you should be looking holistically at 120 minutes. And N'Golo Conte was brilliant. Nothing to take away from Bernardo Silva, who had a good game for City. But, you know, I, I would say that if, you know, Bernardo Silva, to me, if I was going to define him as a man of the match, he probably would have had to assist or score a winning goal and N'Golo just was doing everything short of score almost scoring a game winner for us too Nick oh man yeah look I, everyone knows how much I love this dude I won't go into that at this point um he is no no, no. Take, take a moment gush he, gush he on is, your boy he is genuinely one of the best footballers I've ever seen uh and I know that you know he doesn't necessarily possess Ronaldo-like goal-scoring ability or Messi-like uh, dribbling ability, but he is genuinely one of the smartest, positionally aware, hardest-working, robotic-legged <laughs> players I've ever seen. He's absolutely insanely incredible. I, as I was watching him, especially in the later parts of the second half before extra time, and we were making kind of that final push, he was back at our own touchline and then he was at you know right you know kind of near the box on the other side multiple times and to have the endurance just flat out not even the ability but just the endurance to after uh you know 86 minutes of of painstaking tracking and and running to have the ability to do that is uh you know there there are no other players in the world like him uh not not one uh it reminded me of you know and i think you you brought this up dan how you know a losing player could still win MVP. It reminded me when LeBron James went back to the Cavs that first year uh, and they played the Warriors and they were clearly out of their depth as a team, but he kept them in it somehow um, just on pure will when Kyrie Irving went down. Like he, he could and should have won the finals MVP that year. And that's what it felt like. I mean, it, he is a one-man wrecking machine. Um, I don't know how you feel about the man, but certainly uh, was an incredible performance from him. Dude, I get tired watching N'Golo Kante. I feel, <laughs> I honestly feel like there, there is, and when they zoom in on him, he's never breathing labor. He doesn't ever look like he's, you know, no hands on knees. There's never a moment when he looks like he needs to come off. The guy is relentless in the best way. He pursues defend. He, he pursues his defensive responsibilities so staunchly that, as you said. He was the person in the right place to get rid of that ball, which was surely going to be an easy tap-in for two City players. I mean, he makes watching Chelsea beyond a, a shadow of a doubt more exciting because on both sides of the ball, he's making the crucial decisions and he's making the crucial plays. And I think you said, Nick, his positional awareness, that I think might be his best attribute beyond simply just giving 150%. I think that he knows where to be, and the ball just seems to find him. And the only thing 
the only thing that could have made his performance better today was finishing Eden Hazard's cross and giving us that goal. All right. I'm uh, I'm dragging my feet here a little bit on this one, so I'm going to clearly gonna go ahead and uh, stall with a, tr- uh, a comment from Guardiola. This was one of the toughest teams I've ever faced in my time. How Jorginho and Conte passed was incredible. It's not easy to fight them. And Pep said that as well in another post-match interview. The interview was saying, like, oh, are you concerned? This wasn't a very good city. And he was just like, did you watch the match? Like, Chelsea put up a hell of a fight. They were hard to break down. They were scrappy. He's like, there was nothing typical about this match. So, you know, I thought fair play to Pep to kind of educate people as well that just because he has a really strong, free-flowing team, doesn't mean that like an opponent can't impose their tactics and their will on them as well uh and so credit to chelsea on that and then just to point out ed nazard was in 22 duels today thanks to naz kinsella telling us he won 63.6 percent of them he was fouled six times touched the ball 73 times only three players did more such a good performance from him uh so now that we wrap up all the good things that happened today uh we can talk about the ugly side of today which was after full time and extra time all right you know right at the end of it all there was uh, quite a bit of a i'm gonna call it a confusing confusing situation between keppa arisa balaga and our manager maurizio sorry and you have to tie in the medical staff as well apparently they took four minutes to get all the way around the pitch to update maurizio so a uh, message from Keppa after the match, he posted this on social media, says, upset and sad for not being able to take the title. We fought until the end against a great team. We will continue working to be stronger. I would also like to clarify some facts of today's match. Keyword there, facts from him. First of all, I regret how the end of the match has been portrayed. At no time has it been my intention to disobey the coach or any of his decisions. I think everything has been misunderstood in the heat of the final part of a match for a title. The coach thought I was not in a position to play on, and my intention was to express that I was in good condition to continue helping the team while the doctors that had treated me arrived at the bench to give him that message. I feel the image that has been portrayed was not my intention. I have the full respect for the coach and his authority. Maurizio Sarri uh, agreeing with that after the match in his post-match press conference saying it was a big misunderstanding because he thought the player had a cramp however he says Keppo was right that he could continue although the way he went about it was wrong sorry says he needs to talk to Keppa. uh thanks nick for uh posting that instagram <laughs> image in here uh, <laughs> so for those for those uh, who have followed around followed us for a long time, you know that we have a live script, and occasionally I like to mess with Brandon by putting in uh, some notes and, and maybe some funny imagery. There's a <laughs> there's <laughs> there's some notes. There's a funny um, there's a funny image of the fourth official holding up the sign with Willie Caballero getting ready to come on and the and the sign says get the fuck off instead <laughs> of their it's, numbers it's so oh, good so it's good. so good <laughs> it's amazing i'm just trying to be a professional here oh, and, man. and try to address a sensitive topic and you delivered it brilliantly what can i say it's got the Carabao logo and everything. Oh, the the so fourth good. officials holding it just says, get the fuck off. Posted by the Connecticut Blues, so credit where credit's due. But Shout man. out to you guys. Um, all right, to Caleb Messer on Discord saying, to each of the hosts, what would you do, R.E. Keppa? 
not what would you do during the match, but what would you do now post-match and into the future? So, um, look, I guess it's kind of a weird situation. I was thinking about this a lot because Dan added me in the tweet talking about how we're going to discuss this. <laughs> Goalkeepers you're, union card-carrying member. You're th- you you are the goalkeeper. You know, you're the one who potentially has lived this scenario before because I, I can just envision you really? on the end just waving away your manager saying, no, I got this. I need to stay on. And I figured you would have, uh, you know, have the most relevant background to talk about it. Well, I didn't make it to the level where I had a manager. I've definitely had some <laughs> questionable coaches in my day. Uh, but this is new to me. Uh, what I would say is it, it's all – I mean, we can – uh, okay, so I'm just going to take it at face value for what Maurizio and Kepa are saying, and I'm going to assume it was a miscommunication. Like, why else would this be a situation? I think where it gets tricky is Gary Hayes put out a tweet I thought was amazing that said, uh, uh, Willie Caballero just became the best penalty keeper after one failed substitution. Because everyone says, oh, if Willie Caballero would have gone in, we would have won, no doubt. And obviously... The easy argument is to point out the Aguero should have been save uh, that went underneath Kepa's hand, and I get it. But I can also understand the fact that the physios went off behind the goal. We all know Wembley is a massive pitch. I'm confused why they didn't have radio to radio back because we've all seen the physios radioing to the bench. For whatever reason, that was not being employed today, and I can understand that Maurizio just made an assumption, got Willie ready. But if they're not saying that they're going to put Caballero on for tactical reasons, aka he's better tactically in a penalty shootout, and this was purely because of a potential physical issue, then I can understand how there's a miscommunication. But holy shit, it did not look good out there, especially after the last week or two that we've had with this transfer ban. Maurizio's lost the dressing room. Is he going to get sacked? This was just kind of the cherry on top. So, uh, Lucas, I, I'm a positive guy. I try to see the best in these situations, but I can also admit that it, it did not. That's not what you want to see at any level or in any situation. No, I look I, on this situation, and this situation is the primary reason. Like the the reason we don't record our show minutes after the game ends is because there was more to come after the match here. Like. Being able to, you know, I think for one, understand both Maurizio and Keppa's position after the match was really important context. It, you know, certainly in real time looked disrespectful at best by Keppa. Uh, I think John Terry said, you know, it was was critical um, of the situation. You know, and of course, he, you know, what better authority than than that? Uh, this is an emotional game. It's an emotional final. Chelsea have poured their heart and soul into trying, you know, to try and win another trophy. Uh, and I think there are a couple things at play. One, poor communication by the physios. Two, Kepa had gone down twice before going down the third time here. And you know, I think most people, including myself and Everyone at the Dubliner today in Kansas City thought uh, this, you know, if you go down three times, it's almost like the, the international signal for like, yo, I can't go anymore. Like, I've tried, but there's something wrong with my calf or there's something wrong, you know, with my knee. I can't go anymore. And so 
you know, Willie getting warmed up in this situation, getting all the, you know, the whole bench was behind him just saying, go out there, man, go do it. You know, like trying to trying to get him psyched up. He'd been warming up for about 20 minutes after the second time Keppa went down. And it was just a clusterfuck. I mean, honestly, it was it was really bad, poorly managed all around. I totally understand why Maurizio felt aggrieved. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, can understand him being furious. I also think, man, like, it's a really bad look to storm off in the middle of that, in the middle of extra time, like a child, too. Like, I think both both guys handled this poorly. Kappa obviously trying to stay on. What, to, you don't to like do walking best. down the tunnel, throwing your arms up and saying, I legitimately, fuck I it, he, I'm out. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought he, he was going to walk off. I thought he I, was going to actually walk into the locker room if he looked yeah. so disgusted at the fact that I mean when you have to send out when Zola's out there on the touchline next to Willie the guy with the sign is wondering like is the awkward like third wheel on a date like I just want to get out of here like this is going poorly like please someone pull me out of this situation like just give me a number or tell me to go away I don't know what to do with my big board right now um yeah, it, it was it was it was just wild. I mean, it was absolutely wild. It was it will never be a good look for either of them. They have both publicly buried the hatchet. It's something that will be resolved in a ten minute, you know, one on one behind closed doors conversation. I'm sure, you know, there probably should be some level of fine, you know, for for Keppa, you know, for you know, ultimately not, you know, if, if you're being called, you got to go. Like I think that's just the reality of it. But I will say. The fact that he was waving it off, I you know, we when we've talked about this season that we have not had players wanting to either be on this pitch or show a commitment or show a fight and want that opportunity, I will say that was a good thing to see in the beginning part of this, not through the extended period of it. The initial like waving off, like, no, I want this, I want to be here, Amity was great to see. It just obviously rolled down the hill pretty quickly. All right. So I think there are a couple ways to look at this. I think that one of the biggest things that stood out to me was not the fact that he wouldn't leave the field for so long, was more that in the end, Sari and him got on message. And you can look at that in whatever way you want. But I think the reality is I think they had that conversation you were just speaking about right after the game. I think they both, or whether it was forced or not, I think they were like, we're going to go and make sure that this is getting squashed in the media because there's way 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 too much surrounding Chelsea right now that's negative there's way too many people talking about crisis there's way too many people talking about sorry losing the dressing room being unable to motivate the players not having the backing of the board and the fans all of those things so one of the things I think that people really need to take away from this is the fact that the club was like we're gonna have whether it was the club or sorry or whether it was the two of them just being gentlemen and coming to a conclusion they were like we're gonna be on message here and we're not gonna allow anyone to say oh look the club's in disarray the coach and the and the lead keeper can't agree etc etc so i think that's one way to look at it the other way to look at it is if the reports are true keppa had he was a doubt for this match he up, up as recently as five days ago it was being reported that he may not even be able to, to feature because of a hamstring problem if that problem became so serious during the match that he did as you said had to go down twice Brandon I mean it's I mean Nick sorry it's it's really just kind of a continuation of what we had already seen no 
Yeah, well, and, and Jamie Redknapp's dumbass on, again, that on Sky Sports being like, how does a goalkeeper even get a cramp? Or, okay, again, do your homework. He's been injured. He's not at full fitness. And JT goes, mate, he had about 107 passes, which was funny. Um, but, my gosh, it, like, again, he was not at full fitness. He was definitely stretching himself for this game, but there have to be concerns. Dan, this honestly wasn't even the biggest thing. Obviously, yes. We know the club will sack um, as Arisa Balaga. We will never see him play for Chelsea He's again. Gone. We will eat sure. all yeah. seventy-five million that we paid for him in wages. Uh, no big deal. I'm sure Low someone in Spain will take, take him, him for, for fifteen. <laughs> yeah, I saw those tweets too. But anyways, what we need to sort out is our spineless captain Ashley Lequeta, who didn't physically drag him off the pitch like any good old school Cantona captain would have done. Yeah, that's, this is an interesting little optics piece of it. And, you know, after the match, you know, Aspilicueta mentioned that he didn't know about, like, really didn't know what to say about it. He was on the other side of the pitch and he can't comment on the incident, which is, you know, a, a very political answer, um, more more political than you would expect from your, your captain necessarily. I think, um, you know, you saw Luis was the one really talking to him during the as this was all shaking down and Luis came out and said that he told him to respect the decision of the coach and to get off and Keppa still didn't want to get off. Uh, I think there was one person who tweeted at us talking about how Keppa looked a little bit like Eric Cartman going, but meme um, during <laughs> the game. That's kind of funny. Uh, that, that was, that was great. But you know, I, I will say I am a little shocked that between Luis and, you know, if, if Azplacueta kind of sees this going down and sees this prolonged interaction, I kind of thought he would go over and maybe make the recommendation that hey, hey bro, like we you know we're both you know on the Spanish national team. We are both Chelsea players. I'm the captain. The coach is telling you to get off the pitch. Like I get that you're saying you're fine, but like you need to get off. Like because that the order has come in, and so I don't know. It was just odd, Nick. Like I, I don't. It, it's really weird. I I don't think it. You know, obviously there's a lot of you know fault issues here. Um, it just, I don't know, it leaves me kind of a little little sour on Azpilicueta kind of fulfilling, you know, what, what you would say the, the captaincy is supposed to do, which is supposed to really kind of bring order to the, the pitch and to, you know, be the ambassador for the, you know, the coach on the, on the field. Don't forget the tweet from at Chatter or Chelsea Chatter saying, Kepa only refused to come off as it would have been Chelsea's fourth and final sub, and he realized that none of them involved Kovacic. <laughs> that was, so that's that a fourth-dimensional chess. Yeah, that was good. Um, look, I, I, um, I don't know, man. Like, at, at some point, and we we have been, I think, critical of leadership on this team at times this year. Um, we all love Dave and have had the pleasure of of interviewing him. You know, I think that he's clearly a lead by example guy. I think if he was asked to come off, he would have jogged his ass right over to the sideline and done the right thing. Um, at what point do we just hold adults accountable for what adults are supposed to do? Like, I, it, it always bothers me that, you know, and I, and I think this is now indicative, especially after the week that we've had, of, oh, well, if John Terry was there, he would have dragged him off by the scruff of his neck. Or, and here's a crazy thought, an adult could like follow the instructions of their boss. Like it, it's why, why do you need someone there? 
to to clean up after you and to to tell you what to do. Like, I maybe that's what this situation called for. Maybe I'm way off base, but to me, it was clearly an act that said, "No, I'm good. I'm good." And Sarah's like, "Yeah, but no, are you? And actually, you're not. So get the hell off." And like, all it takes at that point is for the person to do the thing they're supposed to do. So I like not to be like the contrarian on this on this leadership issue on this one but i'm more i'm more upset about the general like at at the timing of all this and when it happened and then how how much in disarray we looked compared to city heading into the penalties like the team finally got together again and, and sorry finally calmed down enough to get back into the huddle like two seconds before penalties started but City and Pep were in lockstep the entire time that all the shenanigans were happening. They were locked in. There was nothing else happening in the stadium. Not Chelsea's bullshit, not the fans, not anything. All I want from this team is that level of focus when a cup is on the line. And we were in complete disarray, Omni. Yeah, I think that is the biggest takeaway from this. That it, it, What it did to us after our great push in the, both the second half and in the extra time I really do think that, that we had turned the tables and, and the match looked like it was for us. And that really kind of killed our momentum. It made us look like, you know, we didn't, we weren't a, a team who were all together on this. And I think that, you know, as far as the leadership thing goes, it's tough, especially in these situations, to look at it and say, Aspie should have done this or that. But I do find, in that moment, I do find it just necessary for that, as you said, for the adult to be an adult. And, there's too much on the line there. I mean, just just thinking about how that looks, the optics of seeing Sari flipping out on the bench, about to walk down the tunnel, turning around. Like, Chelsea looked like, you know, like we looked like a bunch of children. And that's, you know, that for me is the biggest takeaway. We weren't a team who were mentally prepped to take on that final, uh, the final uh, penalty kicks. And although Kepa did save one, and he probably should have saved two, you know, just the peace of mind of knowing that what the manager wanted and who has for at least this 120 minutes led us properly and prepared the team in the right way knowing that the manager's wishes had been followed and that the team was all together on this would have been a far better way to enter that penalty kick shootout definitely a lot uh wrapped into that one for sure uh shout out to at sub larson oa at tim or at nova underscore 997 uh, at Ricky J Freelove at Abramowitz, all of you asking questions about the Aspie thing. Uh, look, it's I think it's a little bit of a harsh look. Anyways, the last one we have for this one is what does this mean for Marito? Sorry, I think we'd all had known that this might have been his last match, regardless of the result. Maybe he had to the end of February, which is this Thursday, which conveniently is the day after the Spurs match. I don't know. I guess, what do you guys think at big underscore Nash hitting us up on Discord saying, does this give does this game give hope in Sari's methods? Definitely, I have a renewed confidence in Sari. He got the tactics substitution spot on A. By the way, I just want to say, unrecognizable management today from Maurizio to put on <laughs> Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I loved it, but I never, ever, ever expected that. Uh, at Ben J Ring C saying after this performance, which we should be proud of, does Sari deserve more time? At the Fly the Blue Flag, Jeremy saying Sari has to go after that, right? 
It was disrespectful as hell on Keppa's part, but Sari gave in and showed us he lost the squat. Aspie should have drug his ass off the pitch at Knox underscore CFC, saying, considering this team also showed up for Conte's FA Cup final, should we actually be optimistic about this performance going forward? So I guess overall, uh, do you see... As I know, we all talked a lot about it after last last week. Uh, if we thought Maurizio had a future Chelsea, uh, in a in a brief summation, starting with you, Dan, um, do you think that Maurizio will be here? Should we say to the end of the season? Is that a fair kind of measuring stick? I, I think the only thing that at this point would undo him from being here at the end of the season is if the result versus Spurs midweek is a resounding loss you know where we kind of get embarrassed up and down the pitch um you would hope that based upon the way that we've played in this match that you've seen some tactical flexibility we might approach the game a little differently and you know as we know when harry kane's in the lineup they actually play a little worse um or that's been the case this season so thankfully for that but i mean we we have very winnable fixtures after that you know we go we play fulham we play Wolves, we play Everton, we play Cardiff, we play West Ham, and then we have two matches against Dynamo Kiev. Like, so we, we've kind of lucked out with the Europa League draw. It works in our favor. We've got a pretty good run here, and at this point, it's so late in the season. Do you really want to you know, tap up Steve Holland to have him come in and caretake if Mauricio is showing now, Nick, that he is flexible enough? I will say I personally am not like – hold your head up high. You know, I still think at the end of the day, we lost an opportunity to win a cup to, you know, to win a, a cup. And that's a, a sad thing. And I think we should be, you know, a little kind of pissed about it because we had 90 minutes to win it in. And then we had an extra 30 minutes to win it in and we still manage zero shots on target. So there's still something missing there in the equation. Um, but I guess I'm not to the point where I'm like, you know, let's try to mid-season reboot it here and hope that we can kind of bring it to the end of the season in a better spot. I think Sorry or whoever you would bring in at this point is going to probably get us to the same end spot. No, look, I think it's I think it's all about league form. I, I really, I don't think, you know, outside of us losing 6-0 again in this match, I don't think this match really had that much to do with Sorry's future at Chelsea, honestly. Uh, I know that could sound ludicrous to some uh, because it's a cup final, but... This cup is not going to get us back in the Champions League. <laughs> it's not. Um, you know, beating Spurs on Wednesday, you know, then we're talking. You know, then we're, you know, back in, you know, I think, even with gold diff, we, we might be back in the fourth, I believe, with in, tied with Arsenal um, and having a better gold diff if we beat Spurs on Wednesday. Um, so, so then, then we're, you know, then I think we have a legitimate discussion, but... If we lose on Thursday, we're already two points behind United and three points behind Arsenal, you know, firmly in sixth at that point. I think the conversation is still up for debate. You know, like we're we're in March. There are only a few matches left to save this season. And if it's, you know, if, if we have had this month and we basically went into February knowing that it was going to be a brutal month and that we needed results and we haven't got results, you know, outside of the two Europa League wins, which are, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I think the league form really matters, Domini, and and if he doesn't, you know, show up, if this team doesn't show up in in form on Wednesday, especially against Spurs, that atmosphere is going to be so hyped, and we we lose, I think he's done, honestly. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Spurs game is what what we should be looking at. I think that a bad loss 
sees him out the door. I think a loss in general might not. Frankly, I think we need to see, again, his ability to adapt to a specific club, to have his tactics set up well, and to have the belief of the players. I mean, today was a cup final, and to the point of uh, Rocky Top Blues at Knox CFC, I get that. I mean, yeah, this team did show that we could play in an FA Cup final for Conte, even after the, the dross of that season. And yet... Now we're looking at a very big game. This game against Spurs, you might as well look at it as a cup final. This is a team who hasn't be, hadn't beaten us, I think, until last year for 20, 20 years or so. And now we're playing them at home in what could be such a crucial game. They're coming off of a loss to Burnley. We're probably not the most confident team at the moment. But you're right. After this game, we're looking at very few really challenging games, games we should win. So to, to sack Sarri to me doesn't make much sense regardless of the fact that we you know that's going to be on the minds of anybody making this decision i think the spurs game it, it's so it's so important here but in my opinion i think he'll be gone come the end of the season regardless if we don't get a major turnaround and i mean that's next that's winning the next five games that's that's getting a deep run in the europa league if not winning it i mean there's a lot to come for the rest of our season and I think that the focus really needs to be on winning this next game, primarily. Always, always prioritize that, guys. I mean, look, it. the crazy thing is, like, he can lose one match, and he's definitely getting sacked. And he can win a match, and he's definitely, we need to back him because Sorry Ball is the best thing ever, and he's showing progress. And then we have another drop, and then we have to sack him, and it's just... You know, DPZ from Wagon, we ain't got no history. Even tweet is like, does it ever exhaust you guys to like go all in on every single high and low and not just kind of take it all in over an entire season? And I kind of felt that today. Like, I get we lost, but it just seemed, it seems exhausting overreacting to uh, lineups, to 45 minutes of football at a time, to maybe dropping points unluckily here or, you know, getting a good result there. It's just really hard. And I think that Chelsea as a club have kind of programmed us that way because they do chop and change managers so quickly and they don't really give time for certain things to build out. So, uh, you know, look, I actually just sent a text to, to these guys and there's someone on Twitter who has this thread about why Sorry Ball isn't working and reach us to go. And then after today's match, he tweets about how, you know, uh, Maurizio showed, showed tactical flexibility, how there's fight and passion on the team, and how we all need to back the manager. And honestly, like, I'm just kind of exhausted with it all, if I'm being honest. And I haven't felt this way in a long time at Chelsea because um, I'm just confused. I don't know if I'm supposed to be excited about the team. I don't know if I'm supposed to be pissed about the team. Like I just the it, amount of discussion huh. that flip flops is is it's just I can't I don't know. I can't grab onto it, so I'm actually disconnecting a lot because I can't handle it right now. Dan Dan, we are this is peak Chelsea. This is ev- <laughs> this is everything that Chelsea has been over the last fifteen years coming together in one month in an important month for the club to determine basically everything right if we're in champions league this whole scenario this whole scenario changes the players we can go attract changes the you know the management of the football club might change like a whole bunch of scenarios change if we're not in the champions league your darkest timeline from last week 
pretty much holds up, especially with all of the you know transfer ban stuff that we'll get into in our second part. This is peak Chelsea. Peak Chelsea is a, a player refusing to come off the pitch ahead of a penalty shootout in which he will be participating five times. And then the whole team is in disarray and we almost still win the damn thing. Like it, It's unbelievable. I don't know what to do with it. And it is exhausting. Right, against a team that beat us 6 nothing a couple weeks prior, and somehow we hold them to no scores over 120 minutes. And, again, it's it's a roller coaster. You know, Chelsea right now is the, the blue in the paint can in the paint shaker right now, and it's cranked up to maximum. And this end of the season run is going to be pretty fierce. It's going to have a lot more ups and downs. And, you know, again, at the end of the day, like – I mean, you could go root for some pretty boring clubs in the world, but you know, it's it's never as uh, interesting and uh, as bad on your heart and health um, as it is to support Chelsea because the highs are exceptional and the lows are pretty crazy and wild, and in a way that no other club can kind of really compare with. Well, no, no, I, I yep, you're definitely right. Chelsea are pretty unique in that sense, <laughs> as they would say, it's the cross we bear, Amity. But I mean, look, it, to me, I think this is like an over-the-top season. And we are talking about this a little bit before. Maybe it's the social media craze that being over-the-top is what grabs attention on social media and is what uh, grabs followers, and that's where people are going. There's, Look, we set out to this podcast four and a half years ago specifically to just grow a conversation of Chelsea fans. We pride ourselves of not recording right after the match of not uh you know try i mean we are passionate by all means but we want to keep a perspective with it and we also want to have conversations out there we want there to be discussion throughout the week about chelsea not saying here's my position i'm drawing a line in the sand you're either with me or against me and that seems like that's happening more than ever this season when we all knew going into it, it was going to be a massive transition season, not only because there's a new manager, but because of who that new manager was, Maurizio, coming in also at the very end of the summer transfer window. Yeah, I mean, I think there's we need to take a step back here and be, we, which is something that cannot possibly happen at Chelsea Football Club, and be realistic. I mean, <laughs> this, this, this is a rebuilding year. I mean, if we were going to buy into this whole sorry ball idea and the revolution at Chelsea and what he was going to bring, I think it, Marina even said it. We're here for a new philosophy. They bought in to sorry. The idea that, you know, A, that these things need to happen overnight, and B, that we need to have these ridiculous hot takes about every little thing that happens with the club and how that reflects on the fans and how that makes the club this i don't know it's just this it's all this kind of ridiculous reactive knee-jerk uh responses to things that happen at chelsea that have made us what we are that have be that have made the club you know in stay in this sort of rut if you will and it's crazy in this rut we've won the league we've won the fa cup we, we don't as you said we have all these kind of highs and real bad lows but for whatever reason the people who have the powers that who are the powers that be rather are satisfied with this this way of being because it brings results and i think that's developed a jaded fan base i think it's the reason for all of these reactive hot takes and i think that it's something that we're never going to get away from unless we invest in the idea of longevity i don't know what that means 
longevity. He doesn't understand the word longevity. I guess the, the thing is maybe, and to wrap it all up, is at the end of the day, this, this seems like you know, the day where the Oscars don't have a host, maybe Keppa and Mauricio thought, you know what, let's go for foreign language film, let's give Roma a run for its money, uh, and unfortunately, they did not win that category, I'm sorry guys, but uh, you know, nice try, we'll go do it again next year. It, it was very close, Quran just barely edged by him. Lots of drama, no doubt about it. But anyways, I think that will go ahead and wrap us up, guys. Uh, we could probably talk about this for another hour. Look, overall, super proud to see the team step up in a big moment, especially after getting absolutely humiliated to the exact same team a few weeks ago. Not even, just a couple. And to see them really step in to the light, uh, play with a lot of discipline, with a lot of professionalism. I thought it was fantastic. So uh, please, please reach out to us, get in touch, let us know what you think. There's more to this conversation than what we had time for today. So we will be back with part two tomorrow, answering a ton of your social media questions, we promise. Um, but look, that's it. Amity, a massive thanks for jumping on to us, man. Yeah, it has buddy. been fantastic chatting with you as always. Always a pleasure, guys. Can't wait to hear it. And also, you know, let's 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 be positive let's let's look up and be and be optimistic about the next couple months because i think there's a project here and if we just stick with it and the fans themselves actually have to be honest with themselves as well if we stick with this it can be something great so thanks for having me on and i'm really looking forward to the next couple months at chelsea football club awesome we appreciate it as always so again get in touch with the show social media email we're always up for chatting about it but anyways chelsea fans that's gonna wrap it up for this episode part two coming tomorrow so make sure to go listen to that but look as always you know what to do keep that blue flag flying high